encourage you again to that book. There are books. That, there is a study guide in the back of the book. And I'm going to encourage you this month particularly to find one or two other people to work through that, excuse me, that study guide with. Go for coffee, go for lunch, invite them to your home, but find someone to work through this discipline with. Because for the month of March, we're going to go into the discipline of confession, the discipline of confession. And there is a communal aspect to confession that is just as important as us confessing to God. And uh, we're going to talk about that as we go through the month, but I just felt like I just needed to encourage us as a body. Um, there's no structure to it. There's no um, list of who's going to contact who, but find someone. If you can't find anyone, call me. And we'll either find you someone, or you and me will go through that together, and we will um, just let the Holy Spirit pull some stuff out of both of us as we go through that, that study guide as well. So, um, the spiritual disciplines. I wanted to review something from chapter 3, because one of the things that, as we've used these spiritual disciplines, uh, we've been talking about using them as a training, um, comparing it to marathon training, and, and focusing on the discipline for a month. We've, we've talked about the discipline of celebration, the discipline of solitude, the discipline of prayer. In February, the discipline of servanthood. And as we focus on them, we fully expect the, the water level to rise in our lives, if you will. So that, that characteristic, that that um, can't think of the word, <laughs> that discipline, how can I not think of it? Because it's like everything we're talking about. Um, that discipline is growing in our lives. But it's not like we grow in it and then put it on a shelf and never to remember again. In some ways, some of those disciplines have to be carried with us all the time. But there are seasons of our lives where we pull out these disciplines to help us grow in our faith. And I bring it up because as we start talking about confession, this is really going to come into play. And I want to read um, a quote from chapter 3 where John talks about how to know what discipline to use in our lives. And he says this. He says, on the diagnostic side, sin can be divided into two general categories. Sins of omission and sins of commission. Sins of omission involved not doing things we ought to do. Sins of commission consist of things we do that we ought to avoid. Similarly, Dallas Willard notes that spiritual disciplines can be placed into two categories. Disciplines of engagement and disciplines of abstinence. Disciplines of engagement involve my intentionally doing certain things. Worship, study, fellowship, and giving are all disciplines of engagement. By contrast, disciplines of abstinence involve my intentionally refraining from doing things. These include practices such as fasting, solitude, and silence. Here's the connection. If I struggle with a sin of commission... I will generally be helped by practicing a discipline of abstinence. In other words, if my problem is that I'm doing something I ought not to do, I need to practice a discipline that strengthens my not doing muscles. So if you have a problem with boasting, a sin of commission, otherwise known as pride, what disciplines are likely to help? If you said silence or secrecy, both disciplines of abstinence, you're right but don't tell anybody. If I, 
if I struggle with the sin of omission. I will usually be most helped by a discipline of engagement. That is, if my sin involves a failure to love or encourage or serve, I need practices that will help my doing muscles. For example, if you ever wrestle with joylessness, you will want to immerse yourself in my favorite discipline of all, the discipline of celebration. And so as we start talking about confession and we start looking at sins of commission, sins of omission in our lives, um, we may need to step into a period of practicing another discipline apart from the sermon series, apart from even the, the, the disciplines that maybe John even mentions in the book. Maybe the Lord will lead you in a path. And sometimes, sometimes, we need someone in the body of Christ to help us see what we can't see ourselves. That's why the body of Christ is important. That's why community is important. That's why I encourage you to find someone to talk through confession with, not in the sense of you're confessing your sins to them, although we're going to talk about that here in a second too, but because that's what's sometimes necessary for us to see what's going on. I know we all have the Holy Spirit, and I know that all of us can hear His voice, but the heart is deceptive. And you and I sometimes have a hard time hearing the Holy Spirit, unless we listen to the Holy Spirit through one of our friends or fellow believers that maybe isn't even a friend. And so I, that's why I encourage you. So the practice of confession is chapter 8. That's what we're going to talk through. And I want to read a quote from the beginning from Martin Luther. This is one of my favorite Martin Luther quotes. It's, he says this, history is like a drunk man on a horse. No sooner does he fall off on the left side does he mount again and fall off on the right? And that's true of history. If you are a student of history, if you've ever studied history, we generally are pendulum people. So we, we fall into an area of lack in a nation, and what we do is we overcorrect, and we almost go clear to the opposite side of that, the, that spectrum, and we just go crazy with this pendulum swing. Um, we never really find that sweet spot that middle ground that we're supposed to walk or walk through. And it's also true of church history. In church history, we've gone through times where we've, been, we've fallen on the legalism side of things, where there have been all these rules and regulations and many of them man-made. And the reaction to that many times is to go to the other side, the libertine side or the licentious, as the Bible says, side, where everything goes and nothing's a sin and we just let uh, grace abound and we... We just go from one end all the way to the other. Sometimes there's a heavy emphasis on the Word of God, and we need the Word of God, and we need to be grounded in the Word of God. And then we, we de-emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit. And then we go to the opposite extreme, and all we do is the Holy Spirit. And a good church service is when the Holy Spirit just moves, and we never even get to the Word. No. I mean, it's like all the time, and there are so many of those areas in church history where we've just swung from one end to the other and we just give people um, pendulum whiplash, if you will. Confession is one of those. Confession, if it's used incorrectly, can really lead us into bondage and shame and guilt and an introspection that actually is more like the worldly sorrow that produces death, like the Apostle Paul says. But 
the danger then is, when we get into that, is to swing the pendulum to the other side and say, I'm just not going to confess at all. I'm, only gonna, I'm not going to like go through a process where I try to figure out what I need to confess. I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit reveal things to me, and whatever He reveals, then I'm just going to confess, which is, sounds so good in theory and sounds so spiritual. Um, but I'm guessing in those moments we're neglecting a lot of things we ought to be confessing because our hearts have deceived us or we're blind to a certain area and we're not getting what we need from maybe another part of the body of Christ so that we can actually confess sin that's in our lives, whether sin of omission or a sin of commission. Robert Morris says this, when we stop confessing it as sin, we stop considering it as sin. Confession is very important. Confession you'll find all throughout the scripture, and we're going to look at some of those passages throughout this month. But what happens when we stop confessing sin, um, when we stop, you know, we, we start calling it our weakness. We start, you know, well, I know I have a weakness. But when we aren't taking it to the Lord to confess it as sin, or we're not going to another member of the body of Christ to confess sin, we're blaming, we're shifting, we're you know, using different language. When we stop calling it sin, we stop considering it as sin. That's how our hearts get into deception. That's how whole entire movements get into error is when we stop confessing. So confession is very necessary and very beneficial. And John points out a couple things in the chapter. We're not going to cover a lot of it today. Um, but a lot of things that are very important, and he starts with this concept of preparation, that we have to literally prepare ourselves for confession. Um, you're not going to just take two minutes and say, hey, Lord, is there anything in my life that I should confess? And I mean, sometimes there's a decompression that needs to happen. And he starts by talking about the we have to surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has to be a part of this process because if you just start looking for stuff on the inside of you without the Holy Spirit's help and guidance, you are going down a hole, a black hole, that will not end well. Okay? You need the help of the Holy Spirit if you're going to start looking inward to deal with some of the junk in your heart. Because here's the thing. I know we all think that we're good people. And we all think that, you know, we're just, we're, we're the sweetest thing, and God just loves us, and there's really nothing bad in our hearts at all. And yet, the reality is, there's all kinds of stuff going on in there. And the Lord wants to bring it out. And if you go after it without Him, <laughs> it's going to get ugly. And so, he says, John says this in the book. The first step is pre preparation. We begin by placing ourselves into the care of the Spirit and asking for His help. Apart from this, confession is dangerous. If left to ourselves, we are prone to self-condemnation for things we ought not to feel guilty about. Or alternatively, prone to glossing over the truly ugly stains that demand attention. We need help. Later in the chapter, he says, confession can be safely can, be, can safely be made only in the context of grace. Feelings of remorse are no guarantee of authentic repentance, and they can be highly destructive. It helps to know what our tendencies are, whether we tend to beat ourselves up or let ourselves off the hook. 
the Bible calls for often this idea of self-examination, examine yourselves. And that's a true thing, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit, but it also has to be rooted in our identity in Christ. If our identity in Christ is not fully sealed as I'm a son of God, I'm a daughter of God, and everything I am depends on the finished work of Jesus Christ. If that is not stable in my life, and I try to go after confessing sins in my heart, um, I, things will go crazy haywire because we will, we will try to avoid admitting or confessing because we don't want our identity to be that. But my identity is not that. My identity is what I am in Christ. And the moment I come to Christ, I am declared righteous. And yet, at the same time, there's a whole lot of stuff in my heart that needs to be delivered out. But who I am is still a son of God. And if we don't know that, if we don't if we don't really settle in on that, we're going to have a hard time truly confessing the sin that's going on in our lives. In James chapter 5, verse 16, James says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Confessing to another human being is spirit-led. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't just speak to us individually. He speaks to us through other people. Do you know why He does that? Because the Holy Spirit is a community. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. And His people are to be community. No one of us has everything we need for life. We need one another in the body of Christ. If for nothing else, then sometimes to point out the blind spots that we become unaware of. But you and I have to be in relationship based on fellowship with God, where we see each other as sons and daughters of God, so we don't start identifying each other by the yuck that may be still in our hearts, but by the faith we've put in Christ. And so it's very careful as we walk through this. Um, you're you're going to be able to take maybe some of the things I take and use them in a context that I didn't intend them for. I may say them wrong, but as we walk through this month, my hope is that through confession, you and I can actually find places of freedom that we didn't even know were possible. Because that's what confession leads us into. And so there's, a, there's a, an old story, I don't know if you know it, and I may butcher it, but... Uh, it's a story about three pastors that really felt like they needed greater accountability with one another and they wanted to confess to one another and really form this strong bond. And so one, of course, started and said, you know, I'm, I really struggle with greed. I really struggle with money and I've been, you know, stealing from the church. It really started really small. I just didn't turn in or I turned in receipts that weren't true and I, I just uh, and it grew. And now I, I'm actually taking money out of the offering and. I just really need to get a handle on this in my life. Will you guys pray for me? Oh, yeah, we'll pray for you. Go to the second one. He's like, man, I'm, I really struggle with alcohol. I, I, you know, at first I was just a little, you know, a little bit here and there and never a problem. But now I find myself drinking all the time and I get drunk and I'm, I'm mean and I, I've, I've hit my wife and I apologize and I, I keep promising I'm not going to drink and I just, uh, will you guys pray for me? I mean, hard to believe pastors are real people and struggle with things too, right? But, um, man, I'm really just struggling, and would you pray for me? And, oh, yeah, they're praying. And then the third guy starts crying. And we're like, dude, this must be really bad. Like, 
it's okay, man. We, sh- we share with you, and it's okay. He's like, no, you don't understand. I struggle with gossip, and I can't wait to get out of this room to tell everybody what I just heard. And for some of us, that may be the reality. Maybe someone betrayed us along the way, and that's the reason we've gone away from this idea of confessing to other people. And I'm not telling you to dive into the deep end of the swimming pool and have coffee with someone this week and tell them everything about your life. No, 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 no. Trust does need to be built. I understand how human relationships work, but they're not built if we don't start the conversation. And so pick up the phone this week, call someone, get into that idea of confession, because James says if we confess our sin to one another, we can be healed. I take that from the the way I've studied it. I take that to mean secrecy does something to us. When we don't openly confess what's going on, there are health ramifications to that. I mean, psychologists will tell us if you keep things inside, if you internalize stuff, if you hide things, it actually has an effect on your body. The psalmist actually said it before psychiatrist. David in Psalm 32 writes this. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. Well, of course it was because he wanted you to get it out so you'd be healed. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Confess to one another so that you may be healed. There's another passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that sometimes confuses us in the body of Christ, because it's talking about the Lord's Supper, and it's talking about communion. And the Apostle Paul, in verse 27, in the middle of this conversation about the Lord's Supper, says, anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner or unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. I mean, because... Listen, we, we think, well, what's unworthily? Well, when I was taught growing up, I was taught unworthily mean you had to have, if you had unconfessed sin in your life, then you should confess it so that, that you would be able to take communion. And I'm not going to disagree with that, but here's the thing. There's probably a ton of unconfessed sin in my life, and there's no possible way for me to confess every sin because I'm not even aware of them all yet in my life before I take communion. So I don't necessarily disagree But I don't fully agree with that. And if you read it in context, verse 29, if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, who's the body? What's the body of Christ? The bread? Oh, you have to like, if you don't. So I've actually heard a sermon on this one that if you don't like, if you're not solemn enough, if you treat the the service of communion flippantly. I mean, we've actually talked sometimes in our leadership teams that you can take communion with Mountain Dew and a Skittle if that's all you have. It doesn't matter what the elements are. It's the posture of your heart. The way Stan talked about worship today is the exact same thing. I don't care if you use juice and a cracker or if you use Mountain Dew and a Skittle. If the posture of your heart is you're taking the Lord's Supper, that's what you're doing. If that's all you have available at the time, for goodness sake, take communion with what you've got. 
But that's not what they're talking about. The body of Christ, in the context of what's being talked about, is the people, the community of God. And the fact that they're not caring for one another the way they're supposed to be caring for one another. They're not engaged with one another the way they're supposed to be engaged with one another. And this is very true of the American culture, the American church. We, we are an individualistic culture. And I think many times we sin against the body of Christ by not being engaged and connected with the body the way that we're called to. We're not serving it, we're slandering it, we're gossiping against it, we're avoiding it altogether, and yet we're taking communion thinking everything's great. But in the context of 1 Corinthians 11, we may be eating and drinking God's judgment on ourselves, and that's why many are weak and sick, and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined. So that we would not be condemned with the world. God is not judging in the sense that he's trying to hurt us. God is judging in the sense that he's disciplining to try to get us to recognize where we've been wrong. And I think confession and connection and community need to come back to the body of Christ in America in a way that has been absent for generations. And if it does not, the body of Christ will not be healed in our nation. So I want us to, over these next few moments, the rest of the time that we have, we're going to look at the, the 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, and we'll go as far as we can. So if you want to open your Bible, you can. If we, um, I do have the scripture up on the screen. We'll dive into that because this is probably the go-to passage when it comes to confession. Um, this is a big one. Another one is probably Psalm 51, and we're going to get to that one at some point as well. But I wanted to start in 1 John. And 1 John is a letter written by the Apostle John. He did not call it 1 John. We call it 1 John. It was actually a letter to the church in Ephesus where he was the pastor or the overseer of the church for many years. John is no longer there, but he's writing to them because he's heard some things. And what we always have to understand when we read the Bible is that the, especially the letters that we read were not written in a vacuum. These letters were not written to you and I. They have meaning for you and I, but they were not written to us. And if we do not understand what John is addressing in the church in Ephesus in 1 John, we can misapply what he is saying to that church in a way that maybe serves us and what we want in a way that God never intended. And some of those ways may not be sinful ways. They may just be not what God intended. They may just be our own opinion. Or some of them may be overtly selfish ways that God never intended for us to interpret. I'll try to explain as we go through a little bit more. One of the main things that John is addressing in the church in Ephesus is this false teaching that has crept into the church, not just in Ephesus, but in many places, called Gnosticism. If you remember from the series we did um, back in 2020 when we started the, the untold story and we walked through the New Testament and the, the different letters. Gnosticism was a big one. And I just put up the, a, a screen of a couple different key points of Gnosticism because I want you to keep these in mind as we read 1 John chapter 1 because you're going to hear what John is saying to, in response to some of this. And the Gnostics believed that they had this special knowledge that they got through special revelation that they had these visions or angelic beings that spoke to them, and it was special. And only they had it, and they had to impart it to other people. 
They also believed that Eve, women, had special roles in imparting this knowledge. Some of it was actually a lot of sexual immorality. That's the way that you received some of this imparted knowledge to the women. And they believed that because they thought Eve ate the tree of knowledge of good and evil first. Therefore, she had more knowledge. Women had more knowledge, but they weren't fully aware of it. And it had to be imparted to them in that way. See how you can twist the scripture to make it say anything you want? Mm -hmm. Some of the difficult passages we struggle with in the church today in 1 Timothy about women in ministry, you have to remember Timothy was in Ephesus. Paul was writing to Timothy, and the reason I believe he was telling them not to have women teach is because of this problem. I don't think that the, the standard across the board in the early church was women didn't teach. We actually have examples in Scripture of women teaching. And yet, because we do not understand the context of 1 Timothy and what's happening in the city of Ephesus and why Paul's making statements about women being saved through childbirth, what's that even mean? And that man was created first, so he's actually better than the woman. What? Well, now do you see that because Eve ate first, but man created first? Paul's just saying, you can say whatever you want. You can say Eve ate first, but I could say Adam, Adam was created first. It has nothing to do with what God thinks. It had everything to do with con con contradicting this teaching that had crept into the church. And for years now, the body of Christ has hindered women from fully stepping into a role that they have in the body of Christ, I believe, in this age. But because we don't understand the scripture fully, we just make it mean whatever we want it to mean or what we think it should mean. Now I'll get off that little soapbox for now. So number three, the material world is a matter of evil. The, the, the material world of matter is evil. So in other words, the, the physical world, all of it is evil. So Jesus could not have come in the flesh. Because if Jesus put on flesh, it's evil, it's not possible, couldn't have been done. Jesus was not the Son of God. They don't believe Jesus was God. Since salvation means deliverance from the physical world, including our physical bodies, it doesn't matter how you behave. In other words, when you get saved, you are now a spiritual being, and your body, it doesn't matter. You do whatever you want. You can commit sexual immorality, and it doesn't matter because it doesn't affect your spirit. It's only done in the flesh. False teaching. Since sin is a part of the material world, Christians can't even sin. There is no sin because you're a spiritual being now. You can't sin. And so keep those thoughts in mind as we read 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. I mean, he contradicts just about everything right there. He was from the beginning. He's the Son of God. We touched Him. He came in a physical body. This was not done in secret. This isn't some special revelation we've received. This was done publicly. This is the truth. And all of that, that's just verse 1. That's just great stuff. This one, again talking about Jesus here in verse 2, who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you, he is the one who is eternal life. What is eternal life? This is eternal life, Jesus said, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Eternal life is in heaven. It's knowing God. That's eternal life by definition of the book. That's good stuff. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. 
We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. This idea of fellowship is going to keep coming up in the Gospel of John. This idea of fellowship is not just getting together to talk about the weather. It's not just getting together once a a week to sit in a, a building together and sing songs together and hear a message together. That's not fellowship. Fellowship is actual connection where we care for one another, where we connect with one another, where we actually call each other from Sunday to Sunday when we hear about someone in need and we actually step in and help meet that need whether that need is maybe childcare, whether that need is a financial thing, whether that need is a home repair, whatever it is, we serve and help one another. That's connection. That's fellowship. And fellowship is spiritual. Fellowship is where we confess our sins one to another. Fellowship is where we have mutual accountability, where we help each other grow and learn. And I recognize I have blind spots that I'll never see if you and I don't talk. We have fellowship when we come together with Christ. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, and we are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Verse 5, this is the message that we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in Him at all. So we are lying if we say that we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. Now, I do not want you to understand, when John says that we're living in spiritual darkness, I do not believe that's the same as committing a sin. Okay, hear me. I think it's more than that. And this is where sometimes guilt and shame comes into people's lives because they They've made a commitment to follow Christ. I believe the Spirit dwells in them, but they keep, they keep making the same mistake over and over. They can't get past this habit or this addiction, so they doubt their salvation. They doubt whether they're saved. They don't think that they've ever made a commitment, and the enemy wreaks havoc on their lives because they're like, I'm walking in darkness. Darkness is not committing the sin. Darkness is condoning the sin. Darkness is when we stop confessing it as sin. Darkness is when we start calling it light when it's really called darkness in the scripture it's not the the act of the committing it as much as the response after we've committed the sin does that make sense i'm not trying to give anyone a license to sin i mean that would be foolish because sin leads to death but i don't want guilt and shame and condemnation to keep us from actually walking in the truth that god's called us to walk in so we're say, if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness, again, the Gnostics saying we can't even sin, we're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. I mean, you would expect John to say if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with God. And that's implied. But not only that, we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. From all sin. I love that. If we claim we have no sin, we're fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. Let's let's look at that phrase, He cleanses us from all sin. When we walk in the light, in other words, when we put faith in Christ Jesus 
And we call what he calls light, light and dark. And granted, we're learning. And for a season, I may say something is totally permissible. And the Holy Spirit later in my life may show me that the, the word of God clearly calls that sin. As long as I am walking in the light, walking in truth, walking in fellowship, accountability with one another, walking in purity, walking with a clean conscience. It's not something I've read in the scripture and clearly determined is a sin and then twisted it so that I can commit it. It's something I don't have knowledge of. I can still be walking in the light and the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all my past, present, and future sin because it's not my performance that matters. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hebrews 10.14 says, For by one sacrifice He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And people in the body of Christ that sometimes have been beat up because of a, a besetting sin or because of something they literally are trying to work out. Now, I know people use this as an excuse. Oh, the Lord's working with me on that. Ha, 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 wink, wink. I'm not talking about that. There are people that are genuinely trying to clear their lives of sin. They're walking in the light. And the blood of Jesus cleanses them. And many in the body of Christ look down on them. Many in the body of Christ slander them and gossip about them. But they won't actually get down with them and help them overcome. And that's guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Confession. I got to be less excited. Sorry. Let's go to verse 9. If we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. I mean, when I was growing up, we were taught, you know, if, you, if Jesus comes back and you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing, you're not going. You're not going. If you go in that movie theater and Jesus comes back and He is not coming in there to get you. And this fear that we always had to confess our sin instantly. Again, God's forgiveness doesn't come to me when I confess. I mean, I know it looks like that's what he's saying. It's an assurance statement. The forgiveness of God, as long as I'm walking in relationship, I'm walking in the light, forgiveness is instant. Confession is about making sure that my heart doesn't get deceived. It's about making sure that I'm healed, that I'm restored. It's about the internal stuff that the Spirit of God is still working out. Confession is important. It's just not vital to forgiveness. I know that could be twisted, and I sure hope I said it right. <laughs> if not, someone will point it out to me, and I'll, re I'll rephrase it next week. Look at this. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that His Word has no place in our hearts. There aren't a lot of people in the body of Christ today anymore saying that they don't have any sin. But we're condemning other people as if we had no sin. And I promise you, every one of us in this room has got stuff in our life. If the Holy Spirit came today and revealed everything in our hearts and everything in our life right now that displeased God, that was anti-kingdom in our lives, there would be a lot of weeping. And that's not how he works. He never brings the whole list. I don't believe the Holy Spirit is going to give you a list of ten things to confess. Maybe one or two. 
And then sometimes those one or two that he starts with will topple over a few others when we get them right. He knows this is a process, and he is well into that process with us. He's committed to finishing the work he started in us. But don't go claiming, whether by your mouth or by your actions, that you don't have sin. Because there is. It's just not my identity. I'm no longer a sinner saved by grace. I'm a saint being perfected into the image of my father and his son. That's who I am. I was a sinner, but I've been saved by grace. And yeah, there is sin in my life, and it's being worked out with the help of the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in our chapter, says this, Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. He who is alone with his sins is utterly alone. And I'm convinced there are people today in the body of Christ that would love to confess what's going on, but they don't dare. Because they know exactly how the body of Christ would respond. I want to be a church that leads people into a path of restoration where they find true healing, where we don't look good on the outside, but we are good on the inside. And that's going to take a lot of grace, a lot of mercy, sometimes a lot of holding our tongue, reserving judgment. It's going to take a lot of pain on our part. It's going to take a lot of forgiving people that have wronged us and hurt us and maybe not done it well the first time. It's going to mean that we have to bear with one another. We have to cut each other some slack. But it's also going to mean that I have to take responsibility for my part. That I'm going to confess my sin. I'm not going to blame my sin. I'm not going to blame my outburst of anger on like the person that over here that did something. I'm going to own my outburst of anger. Yeah, they may have had a role in bringing that to the surface, but I had the power through the Holy Spirit to control it. I didn't. I have an anger problem. I'm not confessing today. I'm using an example, but I'm guessing I have an anger problem because there are times in my life that I get upset about stuff and I'm like, why am I getting upset about that? That's just stupid. And there's a root. And in fact, in the chapter, he'll give you two questions to ask whenever you find yourself in that situation if you really want to know what's going on. Because it's not really the outburst of anger. It's what's going on in here. And that could be insecurity. That could be selfishness, that could be pride, that could be unforgiveness. There could be a whole lot of reasons for outbursts of anger. And the Holy Spirit would love to reveal those things to us, not to condemn us, but to give us freedom. And who knows, maybe some of the physical symptoms that we're experiencing in our bodies are a direct result of some of the stuff we're just holding in. And that's why confession is so so important. I want to read one last verse, um, actually from 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. It's just the very next verse. Uh, we put in the chapter titles, by the way, and the verses and all of that. So John would have just kept writing. So after he's finished that statement, he says, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. I mean, that's the goal. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who, present tense, is pleading our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, 
the one who is truly righteous. So here's what I want us to do. As we go through this month of confession, I want us to begin to pray the prayer, search me, O God, and know my heart. And that doesn't mean God know it. It means me, I need to know it. Reveal to me the things I need to know. And that's a dangerous prayer because some of the stuff that he reveals to you, you may not like. I mean, I wish I could tell you every time he's revealed something in my heart, I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for revealing that to me. There are times I'm like, that's not me. Yeah, me, talking to Almighty God. <laughs> that's not me. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, it is. If you have kids, <laughs> this is going to be way easier for you. Because <laughs> if you want to know what's going on in your heart, just listen to what's coming out of their mouths. Oh, that was good. Um, it's so true, but our children are just mini us, and I hate it because I'm like, oh, wow, that flaw that I'm really hard on them for, that's me. Mm, yeah. And so don't deflect. Just deal with it, the raw emotion, but don't let guilt and shame and condemnation, you don't have to pay penance. Okay, you don't have to shed like tons of tears to prove to God how sorry you are. I mean, he saved you already knowing that was there. It's just news to us <laughs> that it's there. And so confess it. Call it what it is. God, this is sin. This is against who you are. This is against your nature and your character. I need you to forgive me. I need you to cleanse me of this. Rid me of this. And that's confession. And so I want you to just close your eyes for a few moments, and I want us to start in this moment, and I want us to just listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to say. I believe there are some of us that need a fresh revelation of our identity. There is so much insecurity in some of our lives that if we dare go into this month of confession without getting on more stable ground in our identity as a son and daughter of God, knowing that the work has already been done, that it's not going to go well. Because you're probably prone to beating yourself up. You're probably prone to either lashing out or the silent treatment because of the insecurity. And so over the next few moments, Holy Spirit, I'm just asking that you root us and ground us in your love. In our identity as sons and daughters of God. And if you're in the room, you're watching online, and you've never put faith in Christ, you've never admitted to God that you have sinned, that you've broken his law, and that you deserve death, and that you believe Jesus died in your place, and you put your faith and confidence in that work, and you confess him as your Savior and Lord, if you've never done it, do it now. Enter into that kingdom. Take on that role as son and daughter of God. Let the Holy Spirit come into your life and begin to give you the power that you need to start dealing with some of the stuff that's in your heart, that's in your life, that he's going to work on. But maybe you've gone to church all your life and you still wrestle with identity. There's no shame in that. My heart is that you know who you are as a son or daughter of God. 
one of the things I specifically prayed over this body today is that God would release a spirit of prophecy over this body where we would begin to speak words of life. Anybody can look at someone and see what's wrong. I used to think I had that gift, not for people, but I could look at a project, I could walk in a room, I could tell you what was wrong with stuff. One of the things that I owe to Pastor John is realizing that's not as big of a gift as I thought. But being able to see what's right when there's three things I see wrong, that's a spiritual gift. And so you may see three things that you want to point out in someone's life. But may the Holy Spirit give us wisdom not to gloss over it, not to never bring it up again, but to speak to the life, the destiny, the hope that lies on the inside of someone who's already walking in the light so that we can draw that life out. And that in turn might even deal with those things that we see. Confession is not just black and white when it comes to dealing with other people. In our lives, it's pretty black and white. So I pray that you would be rooted and grounded in His love. And I hope that you would open your heart today and be willing for the Holy Spirit to search you over this month. In fact, if that's you, if you're saying, hey, I'm willing, I'm willing to say, Holy Spirit, search me. I want you to just put your hands out in front of you in that receiving posture. And that's how I want to close today. I want to say, I want us to pray. Holy Spirit, we confess that we desire truth in our inmost being. <laughs> we confess that we want to grow in our community, in our connection with one another. We want you to show us what steps that, that I need to take, that each of us needs to take to develop community with someone else in this body, with several people in this body. We want you to be specific. We want you to show us things. We want you to bring people to mind that you want us to connect with this week. We want you to begin to reveal to us things in our own hearts, selfishness, pride, insecurity, lust, fear, worry, greed, whatever it is. We want you to reveal it. We want you to bring truth into our lives. We want you to set us apart as a body that's a hospital for people that are broken. People in this community that have been wounded by the body of Christ and just need a safe place to confess. And so God, do a deep work in our lives over this month. Take us further in that process of what you have for us as individuals and us as a body, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I think this month of confession um, is a vital part of what God has called us into as Restoration Church. We want to see people restored. We want to see people who have been wounded and have been hurt by the body of Christ 
who have had a call on their life that maybe for one reason or another has gone to the side. That's what we're about. That's something that God has put in us that we want to see happen. And I think learning to walk in this that I've shared with you today is a big part of that. And so let it marinate through this week ahead. Connect with someone in the body of Christ. And let's walk this out through this month ahead. I'm excited for what God has. Um, I know it might be painful at times during this month, but I think at times it's going to be very freeing too. So thank you for being here today. Don't forget to stop by the table in the back. A lot of information out there that you can pick up today. Uh, Offering baskets are out there as well. Thanks for being here. God bless you as you go.